Hello, my name is Julia Streets and welcome to Diversity Podcast, talking about equality, inclusion and diversity in financial services. On every podcast, we seek to shine a light on positive progress, call out areas requiring further focus and offer lots of ideas to help inspire and drive change. And today I'm delighted to be joined by Arlene McDermott and Ethan Salathiel. Arlene McDermott is co-chair of the London Stock Exchange Group Prowls Network and is passionately promoting the power of being out at work. Spearheading events that include a wide variety of city institutions and partnering with LGBT plus charities, Arlene is making sure that the agenda remains central to the narrative of the city. A portfolio director managing large scale change across multiple geographies provides Arlene the ability to influence far and wide and the Prowse Network has been shortlisted for the Diva Network of the Year Award 2020. Arlene, wonderful to have you on the show today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Julia. Hi. And joining Arlene today is Ethan Salathiel. He is a consultant, a coach, a trainer, program leader and entrepreneur and describing himself as a strategic thinker who sees the world as a series of interconnected systems that make up a whole picture. His particular areas of expertise include inclusion and diversity, LGBTQ+, banking governance, credit risk and ESG, also environmental, social and governance. He has a commercial banking background, having worked at HSBC and progressed into senior leadership roles at both a regional and a global level, where he also transitioned genders. And Ethan, it's wonderful to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Julia. It's wonderful to be here. So where I start every conversation with all our guests on Diversity Podcast is really just to ask you, first of all, before we get into a discussion about LGBTQ issues, is really to think about, you know, what are you focused on for the remainder of 2020? Uh, Arlene, let me come to you first of all. So thanks, and Julia, thanks for um, asking me to be here. It's a real pleasure to talk on these things. Um, I think one of the things that we found and a recent consultation that came out from the Kaleidoscope Trust is the importance of supporting LGBT plus charities. And funding, obviously, is stretched across not just the city, but across organizations more generally. And, you know, we were going to do Pride this year and provide some funding to AKT, who is our charity partner for the Proud Network. Um, Of course, we haven't been able to do that. So we've been trying to think of other ways to contribute to those charities. So for us, it's hard, you know, because obviously we don't know what tier we're in and we don't know where, you know, lockdown is going to go. But as much as possible, we're trying to promote the fact that LGBT plus charities need support. There's a lot of people today in lockdown in environments that maybe are hostile toward them as a result of being out. I think that's really important. Another focus for us, we've been doing a lot of work on being out at work. As as you say, that is my personal passion. I believe we all, everything is better when we're ourselves. And probably finally, I would say we're also really focused on intersectionality. We had a great event just last night with Lady Phil talking about intersectionality of being both black and part of the LGBT plus community. You know, and there's a lot for us to think about in that respect and in that regard. You know, I think it's it's such a powerful thing to hear the story of people and to get those stories out there so that we all can be consciously aware of how other people feel in an environment. It's very, very difficult to turn around the damage that can be done on the first day of somebody walking into a workplace when they don't see themselves being represented in that workplace. It's extraordinarily costly to try to reverse that damage. 
And we need to do more. I think we all need to do more to enable people to see themselves within a workplace so that they know that they belong. So those are sort of the three areas that we're focused on this year. Wonderful. Thank you very much for that. And there's so much in that we're going to unpick throughout the discussion for sure. And just for those listeners, when we talk about Ladyfield, Ladyfield is actually the founder of the Black Pride initiative uh, and, and is, is a massive, uh, incredible champion and role model in the industry as well. So how great to have her at your event last night as well. Ethan, let me turn to you as well. You know, as you're looking at the year, as it wraps up and then into the beginning of next year as well, what are you paying attention to? Yeah, thanks, Julia. I think for me, for the rest of 2020, it's all about the employee experience. And really, for me, that means focusing on the and championing on the, the voices of the individual and celebrating and, and, and sharing lived experiences up and down organisations in a systemic sense. And the way that I'm doing that is delivering reciprocal mentoring programs, which are sometimes called reverse mentoring programs for diversity. And we call them reciprocal because we're trying to get away from that hierarchical language. And reciprocal means more about co-learning and collaboration. And the idea is programs that we're delivering are specifically for the LGBTQ plus and the BAME communities. Um, but we're going to everly evolve that into more of an intersectional lens because I believe about having diversity within diversity, not just, you know, siloing off various streams. And it's about giving the junior employees a voice and allowing those stories to be shared right up through the organisation to the senior levels and, and to some extent to the C-suite. And I just think it is such an important uh, endeavour and, and companies are looking at this because, you know, not only is it the right thing to do, but there is, you know, great commercial benefit in that. And, and when we're thinking about financial services industry and operational risk and resilience, it's really a point in time, having experienced what we have this year in 2020, to really challenge the status quo and, and the existing ways of doing things and getting those voices heard um, throughout the organisation. So, yeah, it's a very exciting thing. And, and, and similar to Arlene, big focus on intersectionality, because I believe that that is the future. It's interesting, isn't it? Because a lot of the, a lot of the conversations tend to, to come back to that again. And, and before we get into the question of intersectionality, which we will talk about for sure, I'm going to come to you first, Arnie, on this question, which is, you know, when we think about LGBTQ plus community, and we think about different identities as well, you know, they are ranging from non-binary, gender fluid through to binary trans, and those who are also transient as well. And I sort of ask the question, you know, are we making enough room for everyone? And we talk about the importance of being authentic selves in the organization as well. You know, is, is, are we making enough room for all? So I think no, but I don't think that that's deliberate. I think there's a, uh, I mean, you know, society as a whole has, has now begun to see more lesbian gay men uh, within popular media. You know, I always think about, do do you see yourself being reflected back to you during your normal life? So how many black women see themselves reflected back? You know, how many black female couples do you see selling toothpaste? Okay, so what are we actually seeing back? And I think more and more, I mean, I always go back to the Brookside kiss, you know. I mean, I still remember that because it was so, the two women, it was like, oh my God. So we are beginning to see that a lot of, popular celebrities coming out in popular media. So I think because that gets reflected back into society, people begin to accept. I think probably what isn't being properly reflected back into society is the gender point. And from trans men and women to gender fluidity, we hear the kind of ridiculous arguments that you hear on breakfast television about 
well, if there's 75 gender identities, then I can call myself a penguin nonsense. And it's not healthy. It's not a good conversation. I heard something the other day that I loved, and I'd, I'd love to just, just mention this, that if I was to say to somebody, oh, a friend of mine has got really ill the other day and went to hospital, your answer to that would be, oh, my God, I hope they're okay. Because I didn't mention a gender. So you don't know their gender. So you'll start using words like, I hope they're okay. When do they go in? When might they get out of hospital? So how amazing would it be if in general speech, we were to not assume that we knew somebody's gender? Just because I might look male or female, just because it doesn't necessarily mean that's the gender that I identify with. I'm constantly misgendered. I'm constantly referred to as a man. I'm constantly asked, is that all, sir? It happens to me all the time because I have short hair. I identify as female. So I know what that's like. And I can only imagine that if you have spent your life really fighting for the identity that is yours, to then have that taken away, contradicted, for you to have to justify that is extraordinarily difficult for people. So do I think we're making enough room? I don't think we know enough. And I think people's gender identity needs to be talked about more. People's journeys, if they're going through a transitioning journey, needs to be talked about more. Because when we do that, it becomes normal. When people see it, it becomes normal. And then opening up to those individuals becomes easier because those individuals are then more free to open up to us. You know, it's a two-way street. So I'm, I'm actually, personally, you know, I have a, a child who's currently on that journey. So I'm very close to it and I'm delighted. You know, I think it's a great thing to be able to, at such a young age, to be able to open up and talk to their parents about this kind of thing. So I'm really happy about that. Are we doing enough? We can do more, but it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a job and we need to talk about it. We need to, talk about it. We need to bring it into our normal conversation. And that's exactly what we're, you know, pushing to do. And when we were talking earlier about the networks, so when we come back to the question of intersectionality, and let's get to that question of intersectionality quite quickly as well. I'm just sort of wondering, within sort of various networks, is is there more that could be done to introduce that conversation into certain networks in organisations? So, yeah, I mean, within the group, we have a number of staff networks that represent people with disabilities, people from the black community, parents and carers. We are all intersectional. You know, I'm a parent, I'm a gay woman, I'm a boss, I'm a, an employee. You know, we're, we're all many, many things. I think networks do need to work together. So, you know, we work very closely with our being network, which is our black network, to ensure that we are understanding each other, but also to ensure that everybody has a home, even if that is multiple homes, that actually we all come together a lot of the time. Our trans conversation, for example, in November will also be about parenting because Freddie's a father. So we'll talk about parenting and that. And we will bring our parent and carers network into that conversation. None of us are one thing. And we need to, I think, be true to that and really honor that. My experience as an Irish gay woman is very different to the experience of an African gay woman, for example. But we can all learn from that because we all have to interact and be friends and be colleagues. And we can only do that when we really understand each other's stories and have the empathy and compassion that's needed to truly build 
great teams, great groups, great society. And it's fascinating because so much on the, on the conversation on the podcast always comes back to the question of culture. And absolutely what you're saying is do we want to create a culture where people are happy colleagues, friends and teams working together. There are a number of dimensions and we won't, we won't unpick culture in its entirety today if only we had time. But Ethan, I do want to come to, back to you on this point because there's something that comes up a lot, which is about the conversation about leadership. Now, the, the reality that I, I, I sort of frame this in, if you like, is that, you know, being out at the workplace can lead to feelings of uncertainty, particularly if you don't get full support from senior leadership. And as we've just been saying, it's good for individuals, it's good for teams, it's good for performance, exactly as you were saying in terms of the, the commercial point of view, which matters to the listeners of Diversity Podcast working in the, in the city. But I would love to get your thoughts on you know, some, some of the positive experiences that you've experienced yourself or witnessed that can help leaders engage better. Yeah, I'm very happy to share, Julia. Thank you. My my positive experience, it was immense. It was at HSBC, as you pointed out. I transitioned genders at quite a senior level. And I think that looking back on, on reflection, that the key to the success of my story was around the navigation that I sort of sat down and, and worked out sort of up front, sort of from a systems thinking perspective. It was about really kind of looking at the touch points in my sort of lived experience at work. That's in terms of the facilities, the tools, skills and resources I had at hand, but also the teams and the support I had from people and making it as human as possible. So, I mean, the localised management is absolutely, so you mentioned about leadership, the localised management is key. It's all very well having fantastic global policies in place, but it's actually, if they're not executed appropriately and properly at local level, they, they just have no impact and they're meaningless. So for me, I was lucky. I had a very fantastic, supportive line manager. I had quite a funny coming out story. Obviously, came out twice at work because first as a gay woman, then as a as a trans man. And it was actually at my year-end review. My, my boss was in Hong Kong and I was sitting there in London in Canary Wolf. And I had a video conference screen like we all are now. And just about to finish my review, just about to spill my life's beans and you know, explain what was ahead. And kaput. the screen went completely blank and we had a system failure. So just at my crucial moment, you know, things went terribly wrong. And looking back, it was funny at the time. It was quite stressful. So I just nipped into a, an adjacent meeting room and phoned him back and, and told him. And to his absolute credit, he, he was fully supportive and said that we would obviously discuss it in more detail. And then I flew out to Hong Kong a couple of weeks later and he took me aside and he said that he had he'd told the team, he'd spoken to his boss and that he would do everything he could to put in place, you know, what I needed. And he told me to think about that because sadly back then the policy was in its infancy and it was quite new. And I ended up evolving that policy with HR as a result of my experience. But, you know, as I said, it was a, it was a question of sitting down and planning out what I needed, you know, in terms of resource and time for, for surgeries or whatever um, I needed to have in place. But yeah, I mean, I guess just thinking about the key learning points, though, for me, it's about, as I say, having that openness and that that human element to the coming out story, you know, both from the individual and the leadership perspective. But it's also for me, and this is what happened when I evolved the policy, was to introduce key things, which was, number one, a, a safe space for people, particularly in the early days of transition. I didn't have that at the time. And I remember my wife and I were going through IVF alongside me just about to embark my transition because I'm a father of two as well. And I was having conversations with the IVF clinic just outside the glass screen of the lift lobby, you know, with my face against the wall in a corner somewhere. And I just remember it was quite strained. And, and um, it was that cost of continually thinking twice about what I needed. And 
And another example was when I was on the phone to my global colleagues, and I remember a particular one in Brazil, and I was answering the phone after my group directory and email had changed over, and I had my new name and identity and gender, and they were asking for my previous name and gender. And I was like, okay, no, let me explain to you. It is me, but, you know, this has happened. And and that that additional cost of thinking twice all day, you know, it happened multiple times, was 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 difficult. So... The other side of it, and I know Arlene touched on about language and pronouns usage, but but it's also about communication, not just on a local level, but but wider field and, and thinking about that employee's journey and, and who they actually interact with on a daily basis is, is absolutely vital. So, yeah. And, and then the, the last thing is facilities. So for me, I had to use the, the female restroom and felt quite uncomfortable early on. So I asked HR what could be done and I was given the key to the disabled toilets. But I'm pleased to say now when I visited companies in London they have gender neutral toilets and facilities available and it's just such it puts such a big smile on my face every time I see that it's it's absolutely wonderful and I know from an American bank that I've been talking to recently they actually even now fund some of the surgeries on their um, private health insurance and financial services so you know things have really progressed and, and, and you know it's very welcome so yeah wholly positive experience generally speaking. It's wonderful to hear because I know a lot of organisations are thinking about, you know, actually, what are some of the practical things that we can do? And thank you for not only sharing your story, got the thought of that technology going down right at the critical moment. <laughs> I I'm just like, got slightly sweaty palms. I can't <laughs> yeah. begin to imagine. I mean, we joke uh, about it, but actually I can't begin to imagine what an enormous moment that that was for you. But also, you know, there are organisations who are really thinking about very practical things that they can do. And, and thank you for all your insights on that, because uh, there's, there's much for the listeners to, to take away and to implement as well, which is really important. And th- sort of thinking about it from the flip side almost is, you know, I, I suppose, uh, you know, it, this is a great conversation. We're, we're doing it in a very positive sense. But for some people, it still feels very risky. And Arlene, I want to come back to you. you know, here we are in 2020. You know, why would it still be risky for some people to come out? Why is it risky? So. I have a theory. I've been asked by many graduates coming into the group, so really young people, if it's okay to be out within the group. So that triggers a whole load of things in me. Why ask? Why not just assume? Are we not giving enough kind of subtle or more blatant messaging that it's okay? We do have rainbow flags everywhere. We do get an enormous amount of support from our most senior leadership. Our group CEO has a rainbow flag in his office, which is very visible. There really is no issue whatsoever. But people are asking that question. So we recently did an LGBTQ plus event with the London School of Economics. So they were do- they got lots of companies in where people were asking about how open and inclusive organizations were. And so, you know, we were we were asked to go along and do that. And I asked a question because I had a theory about this. And I asked a question and said, you know, do you think that because social media predominantly provides such a huge voice to those who are against the LGBT plus community? You see what happens to the like of J.K. Rowling. You see what happens to a lot of other people who come out against or even implied to be against a part of the LGBT community. The noise and that vitriol is so huge that I now feel that a lot of people coming into the workplace, they don't really want to expose themselves as being different for fear of that sort of reaction. And they agreed. They said they were terrified coming into the workplace. What's the risk? 
I genuinely don't believe there is a risk. I think that we unfortunately are so subjected to such an enormous amount of awful narrative that the risk feels very real. I know of nobody in my organization who would certainly not out loud in any way be against somebody from the LGBT plus community. And let's just turn that question around. What's the risk of not coming out? That's where the risk is. The risk of not coming out is that, as I did early on in my career in the city, every relationship I started, friendship, close colleagues, started on a lie. I wasn't totally honest with people. And that lack of integrity was horrible for me. And it meant that at some point in the future, I would have to say, oh, you remember I was talking about my boyfriend, John? Actually, it's a girlfriend called. I'd have to then backtrack and reveal that bit of dishonesty that I kicked off the relationship with. And, you know, as Ethan said, there's also that double checking constantly, trying to use, and we've all done this, and trying to use gender neutral pronouns, not necessarily talking about that brilliant night you had no Compton Street, trying to, you know, filter yourself. And what that means is, I mean, people are obviously dedicated to their jobs and fantastic at their jobs, but imagine how much more effort you have to put in when you're constantly having to be aware like that. Then, of course, there's also the wider risk to the bottom line. We know that when people are their true selves at work, we business is better. Okay, so for me, it's not the risk of coming out; it's the risk of not coming out. Is really what we, that's what we should be asking ourselves. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I, I I talk quite a lot on the podcast about you know my twenty years of just trying not to be asked the question, "What did you do at the weekend?" And, you know, not that I was doing anything pretty exciting. <laughs> I'm not really that exciting. But actually, when you begin to break that down into the barriers you put around you when you're trying to build positive working relationships, is you know, it's it's it's, it's exhausting. It's absolutely exhausting. Um, but I am very keen, and Ethan, I'd love to come to you for your thoughts on this. We've talked about sort of middle management and we've talked about um, senior management and how they can be supporting the community as, uh, as, as a whole and within certain areas of it. What I am very keen to, to get is your thoughts on, you know, what are we at risk, particularly in 2020, because attentions have been skewed slightly. I don't want to talk about Brexit and I don't want to talk about COVID, but I do actually recognise Arlene's comments and opening about there are some people who are very, very unhappy at home in, in various home places where they're not perhaps appreciated for their identity. But I would love to get your thoughts on, you know, what are we at risk of sidelining? What what should we what what do we need to pay attention to that needs to come higher on our in our minds? Yeah, it's it's an interesting question. I mean, in terms of sidelining, I think from a trans perspective, I can talk about the Gender Recognition Act as a case in point, and and the fact that that was postponed so much, you know, by the government with various initiatives, and and obviously COVID not helping that, and then. As a result, sadly, it's been rather of a light touch reform as opposed to the demedicalization that the community called for, which, you know, plays right into that intersectional view as well. And, and when you don't see the community for the full spectrum of that community, and there are those out there that, that are in the, 
that trans group, that T, that don't want to go down the hormone and surgeries route. And they just want to identify in the gender that they feel that that's natural to them. Then, you know, medicalizing the process isn't going to help them. So, you know, I think if you see it through an intersectional lens and you see people for their full authentic selves and you allow them to have that empowerment, then, you know, we need to be championing that more and we need to be making that voice heard much louder at, at sort of the, the government level to help those sort of reforms get pushed through. So that type of thing has certainly been sidelined, which I think is a great shame. But, you know, I, I'm a bit of an optimist at heart. And I think for, for all the things that have been sidelined and, and, and budgets that have been constrained and, and moved into sort of, as I said, response and, and uh, mode with, with COVID through operational risk, et cetera, there's been some great work on the DNI side and in terms of well-being of employees now working more flexibly and at home. Um, I've seen a big growth in that sort of side of, of things, which is so incredible. And now I think organizations are linking well-being theory to positive psychology and, and helping people. Um, so, you know, we talk about groups of LGBTQ plus groups uh, and mental health. And, and I think well-being is massively part of that. And Martin Seligman, who's sort of the big leader of positive psychology, he has sort of five areas in terms of well-being theory that you should focus on, which are positive regard for people, relationships with others, um, engagement, sense of meaning and sense of accomplishment. And, and, you know, back to my point about systems and navigating the system, if we can think of people in that sense across those five areas of well-being theory, that can really help put a positive slant on things and help prevent things from being sidelined. Can I ask you just to repeat them again for the benefit of the listeners? Because actually it's quite like quite good to land them twice. Yeah, so um, so that's Martin Seligman. He's the, sort of the leader of positive psychology, well-being theory in the States. And the five areas are positive regard for people, engagement with others, relationships, sense of meaning or purpose, which is a massive area of thinking, and sense of accomplishment or achievement in life. And those are sort of the areas of well-being which forms part of that employee's experience that I opened with and I think has a great resonance with the LGBTQ plus community and, and especially with an intersectional lens because we do need to see things for the breadth <laughs> rather than, than put uh, people in boxes. It's fascinating because if I think of all the conversations I have with so many leaders at different levels of the organisation, the one thing that everybody's thinking about, of course, is mental health and mental well-being and, and thinking about you know, how that actually translates into people whose identity and COVID journeys are actually unique to them. So that's enormously helpful. Thank you for repeating it as well. It's, it's incredibly important. So I think that's a great moment to bring in Cynthia, who's got some research to support today's discussion. For 2020 Trans Awareness Week, City announced a new feature that will enable their transgender and non-binary customers to update their chosen first name on eligible credit cards. The launch, in conjunction with MasterCard, allows existing credit card customers to request a new credit card with their chosen first name. Additionally, customers will be referred to by their chosen first names when calling customer service and throughout the company's various online and mobile access points. According to the National Centre for Transgender Equality, almost 70% of trans people don't have even one identity document that reflects the name they use in their daily lives and only about 20% have been able to update all their legal documents due to a complicated and prohibitively expensive process. This move from City will help trans and non-binary people better navigate the world as themselves. 
Wonderful. Thank you, Cynthia. And all of that research is available on our website, www.diversecitypodcast.com. Don't forget that's diversity with a C, not with an S, where you can find all our episodes and sign up for early notifications of future recordings. Please do follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Diversity Podcast is available on Bright's Talk and all good podcast channels. And by the way, we'd love a rating if you'd have a minute because it all helps to promote the show. Fantastic. So I am thinking a lot now, and it's a question I'm asking all our guests, and it really matters, and it's something that I'm slightly obsessive about, so bear with me. But as we head into an economic downturn, I'm deeply concerned that actually diversity and inclusion could fall down the corporate agenda. And I'd love to get your thoughts uh, for the benefit of the listeners about why it's essential that DNI remains high. Uh, Arlene, can I come to you first of all? Sure. I think DNI never in any environment in any sense drop down on the agenda of course it's one of those things that you know may be a victim an economic downturn is something that is going to affect people and you know our diversity inclusion initiatives and our networks are about our people and about not just looking to an individual for what they can do on an excel spreadsheet but more about that individual as a whole person as we look at the news and we see our high streets closing and we see friends who maybe are either furloughed or put out of work. And I have people, you know, in my life who've suffered in that way. Our mental health is incredibly important. I think also it's very easy to forget the importance of diversity and inclusion for the health of an organization. While firms and companies may be recovering from financially a downturn, What you don't want to add to that is that their staff are having to recover as well. So if we can maintain our focus on our people, then as we begin to recover from any kind of financial stress, at least then it's not had such a huge impact on our people because we can't underestimate the importance of our people. Wonderful. And, and Ethan, same question to you, if I may. Uh, why DNI should remain high on the corporate agenda? Yeah, I mean, I totally concur with Arlene's comments there. It should always be high because we're wanting to evolve our workforce into the most you know, dynamic, diverse and inclusive environment possible for success. But particularly in light of an economic downturn, it, it's vital. It's a strategic priority for I hope, all companies. And I think I read in a, in a recent uh, McKinsey report dated May 2020 called Diversity Still Matters, where they commented that in order to come out of the downturn and economic difficulties, you know, in a position of growth and renewal, companies should not turn their back on our diversity and inclusion, because that really does place them at a disadvantage. And, and they actually said, you know, that could, you know, cause a backlash from both internal talent and in terms of talent retention, but also from the customer base. And, you know, always wanting to mirror society at large in terms of internal offerings, diversity does filter out externally as well as internally. But I think the two crucial elements, I think, in order to weather the storm and some of the qualities that characterize a diverse workforce are innovation and resilience. Those are the two key things for me. And I think we should be looking more in in terms of the hearts and minds of the people that we've got in our organizations and particularly from the LGBTQ plus streams that we've been discussing today. There are so many people there with unique stories and backgrounds to share and to learn from. And when it comes to innovation and resilience, those are often the most creative people that have gone through great amounts of adversity. And we can learn from them on a, on a much higher and strategic level. So I do think that that will be the key to the, the economic downturn, you know, turning that around to it, coming out of it the other side, smiling, hopefully. <laughs> 
Well, it most definitely feels like this is a time where we need fresh ideas and we certainly need innovation. That, that's been be most wonderful. Thank you both for all your thoughts today and also your thoughts on that topic in particular. And I've just got to ask you to see us off on a high note. So if I could ask you to very quickly, within about sort of 45 seconds, if you could give us the reasons why you're optimistic. Arlene, coming to you first. Oh, I mean, so many reasons. Let's just imagine a, a post-COVID world in, in 2021 you know, I'm optimistic about so many. Uh, I mean, it's Pride next year, celebration of LGBT plus leaders, people, individuals. I cannot wait to have a huge party because I know that that's what we all need. And I know I'm probably being a bit frivolous and Ethan can be far deeper and more complex and sophisticated than my answer. But that's what I'm really looking forward to. January this year, we had what's called a market close event. You might be where you when they ring the bell at the New York Stock Exchange. And we had market close to launch Pride in the City's 2020 agenda. And it was a big, huge event. And we had most of our senior leadership on the balcony. And it was fantastic. It's so great. And so, you know, what that demonstrated, I think, to staff, but also we had like 50 firms there, was the support that people had from our most senior leadership. I know it's there. What I'm really looking forward to is demonstrating that again to our people, how supported they are, and to just celebrate outside, you know, cannot wait for pride. Uh, And I think, you know, kind of talk and rhetoric is cheap, and actually symbolism and standing up and being counted and leadership matters, not to mention the power of role models as well. Ethan, your thoughts as well, reason why you're particularly optimistic as we head into, in the end, out of this year and into next. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I echo uh, Arlene's thoughts there, particularly about the celebration of the individual. I'm absolutely all behind that. But I think we've got a unique opportunity at the moment. And there's been a paradigm shift in the way that we work, which has given us, you know, greater flexibility, both in our professional and our personal lives. And I I actually quite welcome that balance and that new world. And, and, And I think that as we have the opportunity, as I've just said, to craft and evolve that in our own way, particularly, you know, thinking that the nine to five model is dead and it's outdated and and no one size fits all can happen anymore. I think that intersectional lens really excites me. And I'm very optimistic about that being adopted far more widely in every organisation. So that really excites me. And I do also think that it links back to ESG as well. And in financial services, there's a lot more products coming out with an ESG weighting and credit ratings are factoring in ESG factors and the S of ESG is all about diversity inclusion and gender pay gap and so we really need to be thinking about that and you know some of the carbon neutral and, and net zero products that we've got on the E side but but what the S side as we've been discussing today about people's identity and intersectionality and, and celebrating difference so yeah I'm very optimistic that that actually out of, of all the troubles that we've experienced in 2020 will have a hugely positive effect longer term so yeah that that's me. <laughs> Well, you have, you have inspired me to take the S further. We will be having more conversations about this. It will not be the last conversation we ever have. Certainly not on the Diversity Podcast editorial planning, but also I look forward to, to meeting you both again in person when the time is right. I can't tell you how much I really, really enjoyed the conversation. Not only we looked at this from a commercial and leadership point of view, We've also thought about this from a very, very personal point of view as well. You've both been very generous in, in your sharing your experiences and your thoughts as well. Much to be inspired by. You're both phenomenal role models. I, I've had a fantastic conversation today. Arlene, thank you so much for joining us. We're really grateful. Thanks, Julia. And Ethan, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for being with us today. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Julia. And thank you, Arlene. I've enjoyed the conversation. And as always, thank you to all our listeners for tuning in to Diversity Podcast. I've been Julia Streets and we look forward to the next in the series. 
This episode of Diversity Podcast was produced by me, Kieran Yates, on behalf of Julia Street's Productions. Thanks to Cynthia Akinsania for her insights. You can find out more about the guests on this week's show on our website, diversitypodcast.com. And that's diversity with a C, not an S. Whilst you're there, you can also sign up to our newsletter for all our latest updates. All our episodes are available in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favourite podcast app. If you enjoy Diversity Podcast, remember to share on social media and give us a rating or review. It really helps promote the show to a wider audience. Finally, our Twitter handle is at DiversityPod. Thanks for listening.